0: A reading from Jonah chapter 4. But this was very displeasing to Jonah, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said while I was still in my own country? That is why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and ready to relent from punishing. And now, O Lord, please take my life from me, For it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Is it right for you to be angry? Then Jonah went out of the city and sat down east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade, waiting to see what would become of the city. The Lord God appointed a bush and made it come up over Jonah to give shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was very happy about the bush. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the bush so that it withered. When the sun rose, God prepared a sultry east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint and asked that he might die. He said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the bush? And he said, Yes, angry enough to die. Then the Lord said, You are concerned about the bush for which you did not labor and which you did not grow. It came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not be concerned about Nineveh, the great city, in which there are more than a 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also many animals? This is the. Lord of the Lord wow. and God. Thanks be. Thanks, be, Dad. Thanks be to God.
1: Life is full of disappointments. There's every, all kinds of things in life that can go wrong or go off the rails and, and cause us to be disappointed. I remember one time when I disappointed somebody I cared about and who I thought the world of and I respected like crazy. The first youth minister that I worked for my first boss in ministry. He was also um, a really important mentor in my life and he officiated Stacy and my wedding. I remember as I interned for him with our junior high ministry, there was one time when we were doing something in the youth ministry. I don't even really remember what it was. It was pretty inconsequential, but I did something that disappointed him, that rightfully disappointed him. I did something stupid. Surprise, surprise. And all Ross needed to do was kind of look disappointed. He looked over at me with a little bit of a disappointment. He didn't say anything, he's a very graceful man. And he didn't say anything harsh, he didn't even really go to correct me later or anything. He recognized that I knew that I had disappointed him and I wanted to correct my own behavior. But I thought the world of him, and so just the thought of disappointing him was was crushing to me sometimes disappointment can be a good thing like that sometimes when we do something that we shouldn't have done and we see the disappointment in others it can cause us to recognize that we've made real harm we've done real damage and we can look inward and decide to try and do things differently but most of the time disappointment is driven by uh, expectations that are unrealistic or unhealthy whether it's expectations on other people That are unrealistic or unhealthy or expectations on god that are unrealistic or unhealthy or even expectations on ourselves that are unrealistic and unhealthy i do that a lot in an area where i'm trying to grow currently now but these expectations are so easy to break they're so easy for us to have experiences in life that don't meet those expectations and that that kind of disappointment that comes out of the breaking of those um, unhealthy expectations is the source of probably most of our lives disappointment. This makes me think a lot about our story in Jonah. You see we've been following Jonah for these last three weeks. and We've seen that Jonah was called by God to go to Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, and to preach to the people there uh, that, that God was unhappy with their behavior and he was going to destroy them. But we also see that Jonah runs away from that calling and that that Jonah doesn't want to go to Nineveh for some reason. And we're not really told early in the story what that reason is. He just decides in his mind he's going to go as far away from Nineveh as he can. So he heads to the coast and he gets on a ship and the ship is going to be going as literally as far away as Jonah could think in his mind to get away. And yet God follows Jonah on this journey. God goes with Jonah. And God kind of blocks Jonah's ways from being able to run away from God and it ends up that Jonah is back at the feet of God and God is telling Jonah to go to Nineveh once more. This time Jonah listens and Jonah heads off to Nineveh and he preaches the news that God had given for him to preach to the Ninevites and for some reason he had been expecting this to happen. They repented they actually listened to his message. He was, We saw last week one of the most successful preachers, one of the most successful prophets to ever lived. that pretty much every other prophet of Israel would have gone, gone to great lengths, would have sacrificed a lot in order to be as successful as Jonah. And yet Jonah was super unhappy with his success and we don't learn in that chapter last week why he's very unhappy, but we learn this week. As Jonah leaves the city, he's very, very angry with God. And God kind of calls him on it. It's like, what's going on? And he shouts out to God and, and he, he's in his anger, he says, I knew it. I knew when you called that you were gonna have mercy and compassion on the people of Nineveh. I knew that you are a God abounding in steadfast love and in mercy and grace. And I knew that if I brought this message, there was a good chance that you were gonna give them that mercy and that grace. And I told you at the time, God, that I didn't want to do this for that reason. And now we're given a little bit of a picture of what happened earlier in the story. That God, that Jonah wasn't just running away. Jonah had been negotiating with God about this task earlier on and we weren't told this. Uh, Probably for the reasons of the author telling the story to leave us in suspense for this moment when Jonah's motives are revealed to us. Because remember, this book is, is a book full of irony, full of satire. And, and it's kind of a parody of, and to a degree of um, prophecy in Israel. If you knew anything about prophets in Israel, you were expecting this story to go one way and it continues to zig and zag in different directions than you're expecting every time. And this is one of those moments. This is one of those moments where you, you learned that Jonah knew the grace nature of the God of Israel. Now, a lot of people will say that the God of Israel, the God of the Old Testament was a God of wrath. And then we get the God of the grace and and kindness and compassion in the New Testament. And I have long said that that is bunk. If you know how to read the Old Testament, and if you truly read the Old Testament, the same God of compassion and boundless patience and mercy and grace exists in the entirety of scriptures all throughout it. We see one God throughout the entire scriptures. And that even in times when God seems to act harshly, that it's coming from often His grace and His mercy. And we see that framed in different ways throughout the Old Testament. But here we see a prophet who knows that God is abounding in steadfast love and in mercy. And this prophet wants the people of Nineveh, the people who are uh, domineering over his people, the people he sees as the enemies of God, He knows that God is going to potentially give them mercy and grace. And Jonah doesn't want to see them receive mercy and grace. You see, he wants to see his people, Israel, receive mercy and grace. And so he's set up this dichotomy of expectations in his own mind. He believes that the people of God should be the ones receiving the mercy and grace from God and that the enemies of God should be receiving the wrath of God. An expectation that a lot of us seem to have and that resonates with a lot of human experience and a lot of human emotion throughout of time and history and especially in the scriptures. Just read the Psalms. And yet, he knows that God does unexpected things all the time. He knows that God is full of love and mercy. He has his own experience with God's mercy and love. Remember, as he ran away from God's call, God puts him into the belly of a fish when he should have drowned and died. God saves him. God lets him stew in his own uh, depression for a little while, and then, when Jonah is ready, Jonah cries out in repentance for his unwillingness to follow God's will. and what does God do? Has the fish vomit Jonah right onto the shore, where he's safe and sound and so Jonah himself has been a recipient of great mercy and love and compassion from the God he was running from. An irony when you look at his behavior towards the Ninevites. They're running away more out of ignorance than out of actual willful disobedience, and Jonah is running away out of willful disobedience. Jonah receives mercy and compassion, and he sees that as a good thing. But when he looks at the mercy and compassion that God might show to the enemies of the people of Israel, he doesn't see it as a good thing. This book is about Jonah learning about how to surrender to the will of God regardless of how it makes us feel, regardless of our perspective on things. What a great pre-metaphor for some of Jesus' stories that he tells in the Gospels. You might remember that Jesus shares with his disciples that they are to forgive, not just seven times, but seven times seventy times, a number of, uh, of wholeness, of completeness, that they are to just continually forgive over and over and over again with abundance. And then he tells some parables in various places about forgiveness. In one place he talks about a servant who owes a lot of money to a very rich master and he comes to that master and he begs for forgiveness because he can't pay his debt back. The master takes incredible pity on him and he's very saddened by the story he hears and and he gives him in grace in mercy and compassion forgiveness for all of his debt. But Jesus says this, this guy then goes out and he finds immediately the servant, the other servant, the fellow servant who owes him the most amount of money and he begins to shake him down for the little debt that is owed to him by this other servant. And Jesus is illustrating something that's typical within us, our willingness to receive mercy and grace for our own faults and to see the best within ourselves, but then our unwillingness to be merciful and graceful towards others and see the worst in others. I'm as guilty as this, as anyone else, and I struggle with this in my own heart daily often. So Jonah, becomes kind of a parable and a story for all of us about forgiveness, about surrender, about the willingness to see and let God be merciful upon whom God is going to be merciful. So Jonah goes outside the city after he hears a questioning response from God when he expresses his anger, God says, who are you to be angry? (laughs) Chastising response at best. And Jonah decides, I'm going to plant myself on a hill near the city. I'm going to build myself a little booth or a tent. And I'm going to sit and I'm going to wait and see what happens to Nineveh. Because God's going to see these people aren't going to stay repentant. They're going to go back to their ways. And let's see if God destroys them then. So he decides he's going to dig his roots in and he's just going to be pouty outside the city. And God does something even more strange and even more ironic than you could even imagine or create in your own mind if you were writing the story. God causes a tree to grow up over Jonah. Some of the Bible passages call it a bush, some call it a vine, Um, and yet it was a specific word that attaches to kind of a bush-like tree in the region, in the area that actually was producer of castor oil for the early Egyptians. And later, this tree has been um, called the Palma Christi um, by by later Christians because the oil that comes from it is one that was known to, or thought to be one that caused ex, 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 um, ex, um, excellent healing and and nourishment and and um, being able to bring people back to health. And uh, so. It's ironic that this is the bush that God calls to grow up over Jonah is this kind of healing tree. This tree that's known for its healing qualities grows up over Jonah and provides him with shade with one of its big leaves. And Jonah is exceedingly happy, the scripture says, about this bush and his miserable um, pouty little existence as he sits there on a hill waiting to see what happens to Nineveh. God causes this bush to grow up over him and he's super happy it's the one bright side of his life and he's, he sees this bush as a blessing in some way or another and he, he's gladdened by its quality of being healing to him blocking the Sun from him and yet overnight God causes that tree to get worms at the roots And the worms eat the roots out of this tree, and the tree is not a very um, hardy one. And so as soon as it begins to get eaten by the worms, it fails fast, and it begins to wither overnight. And Jonah then becomes extremely angry about the withering of this bush. And God calls him on his hypocrisy. Here in this story, God says to Jonah, wait a minute now. Now you grew exceedingly happy over a bush, an inconsequential object that I made grow. You didn't even make it grow. And it holds very little value. It gave you a little shade. And then you were so extremely angry when I took that bush from you, when that bush was caused to rot from some worms. But what about the Ninevites? Don't I have the right, as their creator, to be so much more compassionate towards them than you've felt to this bush? They're my people. I've loved them. And despite all of their failures, despite their disobedience, despite their ignorance, I still love them and I want what's best for them. Don't I have that right to care for them much more than you have the right to care for that bush? You see, I grew those people. I love those people. And I'll do what I want with those people. In a way, God is even telling Jonah his own story. God is telling Jonah how much Jonah means to God. I mean, imagine all the care and concern that we see going into Jonah. I mean, there's this huge story where there's a whole city of people that took three days for Jonah to walk through the city. So there's tons and tons of people. And there's this whole city that repents. And you might think we get some microscopic view of what's going on in that city. And yet we stay pinpointed on the story of Jonah. God cares about Jonah even through his disobedience, even through his pouty nature, even through his hypocrisy. And God specifically makes a plant grow up over Jonah just to teach him a lesson. And then we have this book of the prophets end In such a strange way. And almost like in mid-sentence, leaving us to draw the story on ourselves. The the ending is: don't you think that I should care more about those people in Nineveh? Because it's a great city and there are so many people there and lots of animals. (laughs) Wait wait a minute. What and lots of animals? Where did this come from? Where all of a sudden do the animals come from? Well, God is reminding Jonah that he's the creator of everything. And that even the animals who would be punished alongside the Ninevites, if he brought his wrath down on them, would have been negatively impacted by those actions. And God cares even for the animals of Nineveh. Stark contrast from Jonah's behavior, who is so selfish and inward thinking and in drawing his own expectations of what God should and shouldn't do and what the world should and shouldn't be that he gets very pouty and sits on a hill. makes you wonder what happened to Jonah. Except that this is the mark of any good story. It ends in a place where you're left being Jonah. The story really ends with a challenge to the reader, who are you? Are you somebody who has responded to the grace and mercy and compassion of God and to listen to him, to obey God's call regardless of what it makes you feel or regardless of what your expectations were? Or are you somebody who's resistant because God's way doesn't seem to match your way? God's activity and grace and mercy and compassion or God's judgment is not what your grace and mercy or your judgment would be. And so, God, why in the world would you do this? Which one are you? I, when I read this story, can't help but put myself in the place of Jonah, sitting under a tree, happy for a moment that the tree is here, but really angry about the disappointments that I have in life because it hasn't gone the way I think it should go. And I'm now left with a hanging story. A story that I need to complete. A story that I need to walk from this point forward as the one who listens and understands what the story is calling me to do. It's calling me to surrender my ways to God's ways. It's calling me to be happy with God's will, whatever it would be. It's calling me to be merciful and compassion, even to the animals of a city of the enemies of God. What an incredible journey Jonah has taken us on. What a wonderful way to end this story and to be called on our own stuff. Where will you go with your journey after this story? How will you respond? Let God lead your heart Pray in repentance for any way in which you haven't surrendered to God's will. Listen and wait on God. Wait on God to show you his will and his way for your life. Amen. Go out. Go out from here and understand that God loves you. No matter where you're at, no matter how disobedient you might be being or obedient you might be being, Know that God goes with you. God loves you. And God is reaching out to you and caring for you. And show God's love into this world by following after his will, even if it's in something that doesn't make sense to you in the moment. And may the God of grace bless you. May he keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And uh, let, let his name be glorified in your life forever and ever. Amen.